Awesome. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Barack Lurie podcast about all things Barack Lurie. Right now, you're hearing the bumper music. Oh, yeah, we don't have any. Well, anyway, this is Ari David, the producer of the Barack Lurie Show, and I introduce you. Here's Barack Lurie. Thank you, Ari. Thank you, Ari. I appreciate it very much. As you know, we talk about all things legal and beagle and uh, things related to uh, the law, generally speaking. It's a lot of fun. Um, and today, I'd like to talk to you, uh, get a little political this time. I want to talk to you about how the law can serve to really control and destroy lives. And that is by way of regulation. Ari, do you know the difference between a regulation and a law? No, I don't. Right. People, <laughs> I people, yeah, well, I didn't people, know there was. It's so funny. People banter one. around about the idea between laws and regulations. And they, I think they kind of use it interchangeably. I mean, law, in, in by the common understanding of the definition, yeah. is, is a form of... Uh, so it's something that exists to regulate behavior to ensure mm-hmm. something occurs in a better way than it would if it was an unregulated, if if the human behavior was unregulated. Right. Well, there's that's that's a uh, a very intelligent response, maybe reflecting too much intelligence on your part. Well, I'm really smart. <laughs> uh, really, a, a very easy way to look at it is laws regulate or, or laws are there to uh, make sure that people don't do certain things. Don't kill, don't steal, don't drive over 55 miles an hour, um, you know, don't embezzle, don't engage in fraud, don't breach contracts, okay? Regulations are more, uh, des- are, are basically a bunch of rules designed to tell you how to run your business or your industry. So a law is something you, tells you something you can't do, a regulation is something that tells you the way you must do something. That's right. Yeah, so for example, a regulation, uh, you, can, you have to have so much cream in your ice cream. Okay, basically telling you that. Or here's the minimum wage that you must uh, pay your employees if you're going to be hiring anybody. Um, well, that, uh, you, not you, to interrupt, but isn't mm-hmm. the minimum wage a law? Oh, yeah. And yeah the a regulation becomes a law. That's true. You call the minimum wage law. But in, in effect, it's really a, um, it's really a regulation. It's, it's telling you how you as a business person need to run your business, at least when it comes to employees. It also applies to many other areas. Um, for example, uh, everyone has to have a license who teaches and they have to have this kind of license or that kind of license. That's a regulation. It's not the law in the same way that we think of laws where, um, you know, this, this teacher is, should not be stealing from the uh, school uh, kitty, for example. Uh, the teacher should not be hitting the kids. The, the, the teacher should not be um, kidnapping kids, things like this. Because you don't regulate murder kidnapping, violence against children. Right. There's no way to do those things in the correct legal That's right. manner. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Right. And here's here's the funny thing. Almost every regulation, almost every regulation, I'm 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 I would say I'm agnostic on the subject, but I'm really not. Um I'm but I'm but I'm willing to be disproved. Almost every regulation that you can think of that you can throw at me right now. And I know we would have a lot of callers calling in and saying, oh, you know, let me let me show you what but Almost every regulation um, backfires. It has, it, it creates almost the opposite intention. And no matter how good the intention is, it's bad. What about a one that some people, most people would see as innocuous, uh, like like the minimum uh, wage? Uh, well, <laughs> no, not that. More like this one, like uh, uh, 
a regulation that says you must drive on this side of the street, not that side of the street. Do those yeah. kind of is it is it true that every regulation backfires and has an uh, a uh, unintended result or unintended consequence, or do, are some regulations actually useful, like say that one? Right. Well, some regulations. Um, well, I, w I would call that a law because the only way it makes sense to drive a car, and this is a a car is not a natural. Uh, thing right, it's something that's created by man and inventions and such like yeah, that. Yeah, it's not part of the standard existing right. state of life is created by God. It's a right. the, the whole yeah. traffic system is. A I mean, you might as well say you're that. you're not allowed to to drive on people's driveway. Uh, I, I sorry, through their front yard and go, go through their houses. I mean, that's obvious too. So that's more of a law than it is anything else. It's oh. like saying here here we are. You know, the, you, you said an understanding. Drive on the right side of the road. It, it has zero impact on anybody else, and it creates. Understandings among people. Well, so, let me ask you something real quick. Yeah, is that that leads me to another uh, question that maybe instead of thinking in terms that hey, we have laws and regulations, maybe there's a third branch which is standards. Like, and essentially, it's not so much a law or regulation; it's an industry standard for how all things will be done within this area of life to make things compatible. With That's each exactly other. right. That's exactly right. I I actually wonder whether or not you'll be able to find a statute or a regulation saying drivers must drive on the right side of the road in California. I'd, I'd be surprised, actually, because it's so obvious uh, that you, you, you know, you should do this. Um, there's, <clears throat> contrary to popular belief, there's not a regulation or a statute for every single scenario that's possible out there. For example, if I have a, 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 a an airplane, a twin in, twin engine airplane, there's not a regulation out there that says that you shall not fly your twin engine airplane into a little into a small school. I guarantee you there's no such regulation. But it's understood that you're not supposed to fly your plane recklessly. Okay, You're supposed to fly competently. There's also not a regulation there that says you, you should not fly your plane while on meth. Okay, But it's understood that the pilot needs to fly with uh, a certain amount of competence and obviously not under the influence of any drugs or alcohol. That's understood. And, it, and so on it goes. Because there we're talking about Understandings among people and laws. I, I find this a very fascinating area. And here's the weird thing: the more regulations you have, let's say you decided, you know, no, we, we I just don't trust anyone, and we ha we need to make a regulation as to every possible scenario out there. So let's make a regulation that pilots cannot fly while on meth, while on cocaine, while uh, intoxicated of, of any blood alcohol level whatsoever, while on marijuana, while on uh, you know, all, all the various drugs that you can, LSD, for example. Okay, so that almost invites uh, the, the person who wants to violate the law to say, well, it's not in the statute, therefore I've concocted this thing that is has the same impact as LSD, but it's not LSD. In other words, the, the person would then be free to interpret anything that's not absolutely itemized as a loophole. That's exactly right. And this is a very important thing. Uh, this is where I fear that this country is going to. Is this a uh, general attitude in, in legal circles today among some people who think that absolutely everything has to be itemized? Or is it generally accepted by most legal scholars and legal professionals that the way you itemized it before, that of course we don't have to itemize every drug. Intoxication covers right. that state that, That's what you think. Uh, you know, it's funny. The, the debate is not really there. And the debate should be coming, uh, and it will be coming soon enough. Um, if we don't, <clears throat> if we don't have this debate soon enough, it'll be what I call regulation creep. 
soon it'll get to the point where everything will be regulated, everything will be decided on whether or not there is a regulation to that particular thing, and uh, people won't know what to do if it's not in the regulations. It's weird. Couldn't that uh, be accomplished with one simple regulation slash law slash standard that essentially says no human being shall do anything anytime ever? Wouldn't that have... That would be... That, that would be that's, that's the net result. That is what I'm recommending. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or you're yeah. recommending against. That's actually. right. right yeah. Yeah. I'm recommending against. No, I, I think that that is just a... That, that's the problem we're facing. We're, you know, in law school, they teach you... You know, you, you take three years. If, if you were to... You know, what do they say about uh, Hillel, right? They said, well, if you could say uh, all of Judaism while standing on one foot. Uh, it would be, uh, you know, the famous Hillel line, well, he stands on one foot, and he said, well, uh, that which you find distasteful, don't do to other people. Uh, basically, the, the mirror image of what uh, Christians call the golden rule. And, and so it is. And in law school, there is one thing that you, at the end of the day, figure out. And that is, what would the reasonable person do? We call it the reasonable man standard, but because of PC purposes, everyone calls it the reasonable person standard now. But you get the idea. What, would the, what, what is reasonable under the circumstances? That's how it applies. And that's the way it should be. And we should take things on a case-by-case -case basis. Instead, what we're having is we're, we're slowly devolving, and I say devolving in a, in, a, in a very serious way, from a common law society to a civil, a civil law society, which is regulation intensive. So I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that. Um, regulation intensive societies don't work. You see it in Germany and a lot of uh, other socialist countries, they, they tend to have that. Uh, countries which have common law tend to thrive a lot more because there's a lot more openness and there's a lot more wheeling and dealing. And what is reasonable is a, is a fluctuating concept. You would think that uh, a lot of people would be open to that, but oddly enough, people want regulations. So especially liberals, uh, which is very interesting to me. Liberals, despite their term liberal, where you think is open and free and everything else, in reality, uh, you talk to liberal, they're, they're all about regulations. They want more restrictions. They, they talk about, after the Bernie Madoff uh, fiasco, they talk about how they want to regulate everybody. So I don't know. Uh, and, and by the way, Bernie Madoff followed all the regulations. But look what he did. Yeah. He pulled off the greatest scam in history. So uh, don't be so impressed with regulations, first of all. They don't necessarily work. They very often backfire, um, and they actually end up uh, hurting society in, uh, in terms of kind of moving things along. I think at the end of the day, um, what's that expression? Uh, Democrats go to Congress uh, excited about making laws, and Republicans go to Congress hoping to stop Democrats from making laws. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's really our mission. Yeah. Uh, the, the fewer laws we have, the better off we're going to be. Could, that leads me to a question. Um, could you talk about the relationship of the Ten Commandments to all of this? Because oh, yeah. some people, like I, believe that the Ten Commandments, I mean, I don't necessarily want governing everything we do the same way Sharia law from Islam governs everything in, in, in a theocracy. But is there an argument to be made that if you live in a society where the number of laws and regulations are closer to those Ten Commandments, Thus, you have fewer pages of case law governing, as you said earlier, all aspects of life. You have a freer society, even though most people who are liberal or anti-religion uh, or uh, 
anti-Judeo-Christian society uh, right. tradition in some way think that the Ten Commandments should be abolished and we should instead rely on thousands of millions of pages of case law. Right. No, that's fascinating to me. Uh, it's ex exactly the opposite. Um, first of all, let me quick distinction between Ten Commandments and Sharia law. They're, they're, they're completely different. They're opposite sides of not of the same coin. They're completely different animals. Uh, Sharia law does propose to regulate every aspect of your life. Um, and, you know, how you bathe yourself and how you, you have sex, how you um, deal in business and what your interest is that you should be charging. It has every aspect of life supposedly covered. Um, whether it does or not is not, not the issue. It's, uh, it, it tries to, you know, have a rule for everything. So ostensibly, somebody can look at Sharia law and say, okay, well, this is what I must do today. Uh, not so with the Ten Commandments. The, the Ten Commandments are exactly the opposite. It is, um, it is one of the most freest uh, set of laws that you could possibly think of. If anything, these are laws, almost all of them say what you shall not do. There are very few affirmative obligations in the, the Ten Commandments, right? It'd be, uh, the affirmative commandment is that you, you shall love the Lord and, <coughs> and yeah, recognize Fruitful and multiply, honor thy mother and father. <coughs> and honor thy mother and the father, yeah. right? But with the exception of those, uh, you're basically talking about what you shouldn't do. Don't covet, don't steal, don't kill, um, and things, of, things of this nature. So that's the rubric. And interestingly, it says don't steal, right? But it doesn't say what the punishment is if you do steal. That's how open this is. And the Ten Commandments doesn't try to, to tell people how to punish people. It simply says, don't steal. That's very interesting. So it doesn't say, you sh or you shall lose a hand or your tongue. Or exactly. Your eyelids. It says, thou shalt not murder, but doesn't say thou shalt be stoned to death or electrocuted in response. It lets the society, with its right. uh, cultural mores of the time, determine. That's right. It, it actually is. respects society enough. God respects people enough to let them make you know laws, hopefully very few laws, to deal with these uh, you know, um, infractions. Uh, but God, these are God's laws. These are laws that say, you know, it's, it's understood. These are the standards. We don't steal. We don't kill. Uh, we don't we don't murder, rather, and uh, we honor the, the you know the mother and the father. And there are all sorts of things that flow from them. Yes, but uh, we really should not have. We should really be very uh, cautious and uh, reluctant to make laws. And how does then those ten commandments not to uh, take it into a tangent where it's entirely about biblical or Talmudic right, study, right, right. but how does that then relate to, uh, say, the regulations of dietary uh, kosher or uh, the regulations like there's a, right. a famous one that people make fun of in Leviticus that a man shall not wear an, uh, a garment of two kinds of cloth. Would those right. be sub-regulations derived from the Ten Commandments or are those traditional regulations well, they're from certainly, time? they're certainly not derived from the Ten Commandments, because, uh, they, for example, in Leviticus, with the two kinds of cloth, one is wool and one is uh, wool. Uh, one is wool and the other one. I forget the other kind of thing. But you're not supposed to mix the two. Yeah, probably not rayon. Right. They, yeah. I think you're okay with the rayon. Yeah. Uh, but that has nothing to do with stealing, killing, honoring the mother and the father, or coveting. Right. So it's very hard to to say that somehow it relates to the Ten Commandments. Uh, these are guidelines, however, that I don't think God gets upset with you whatsoever if you fail to do it. Uh, I, I don't think those are God's laws at all. I think it's very clear that these are men's laws and very wise men's laws. Uh, no more uh, than lighting candles on Hanukkah or um, observing Passover is somehow God's law. It, those are traditions. This is what makes us Jewish. 
uh, what, what makes us a nation as opposed to observing God. Now, doing these things, I think, helps us connect with God. For example, I'm kosher. I don't know if you're kosher. But I'm kosher, and I, and I like it, and I do it not because I fear that God is going to punish me or that I'm violating God's laws. No way, Jose. I do not feel that whatsoever. Uh, I, I do it because it is what my people do. It makes me connect with my Jews throughout the world, fellow Jews throughout the world. It also makes me think about free will and that God gives me free will. It's a tool that we, that, that the wise sages of, of Jewish history have given us to help us appreciate God all the more. That's all. Uh, just like praying to God. God doesn't expect us to pray uh, and to daven that many times. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible, uh, in, in the Ten Commandments at least. But by davening, you appreciate what God gives you. So uh, I don't think of any Jew, any any really observant Jew, if he fails to daven that morning, does he feel guilty? It's not like that. I don't think you know of any Jews that, that feel that way. I can't speak about other religions, but I can say in, in the Jewish tradition, um, it, they do it because they love it, because they, they feel a compulsion to do so because it, it connects them with God and with other Jews. So, uh, you know, my, my brother-in-law asked that, and what about the regulations in the kosher? It's exactly the same question that you posed, and I said that these are not, these are not what you think they are. These are not rules that are prescribed by God or otherwise. So it's a very interesting question, and uh, at the end of the day, I come back to full circle. We really ought to think very carefully before we make a law. There are consequences to law, Ari, that, that people just never think about. Is one of them that it's much easier to make a law than to get rid of a law? Oh, absolutely. Uh, or or a, uh, a scheme uh, such as Social Security, welfare, food stamps, uh, affirmative action, minimum wage, uh, all these things. Once you start them, they're very hard to undo them. Very hard. And, and, and that applies not just to laws, by the way. It applies to departments uh, of education, departments yeah. of... Uh, so so this is, this, these are big things, and you have to yeah. think about them. Because I would always ask myself, I still do, mm -hmm. why are there all these laws on the books if, if they have grown obsolete? Isn't there a mechanism? And maybe that's a, a constitutional question or a, 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 an American societal right. que structure question for how we do things. Right. But why do, do we have... Congress after Congress, or state or federal legislature after legislature, making and compounding law upon law upon law and regulation upon regulation, but there isn't a mechanism for removing all these things that are no longer relevant to society. Uh, why should it be on the books, regulations about how to uh, use bucky whips or right, manufacture exactly right. or put on horseshoes for commercial horse transportation right. if it's in, truly in, relevant? In, in fairness to our legal system, there there is a mechanism but it's not used very much, and your, your larger point is 100% is correct. Uh, you do see from time to time in the legal books or the statute books that you know there's a new code section. It's designed to get rid of an old code se section, and you see the legislative intent behind it and everything else. There's some, there's some mechanism there, but there's no way you could possibly uh, take care of it all, just like you said with the buggy whips and everything else. Um, think, of, uh, think of the code, uh, the statutory code, as... A, an office, an office room, like the office room that we're in right now. And it just gets more and more papers, and it comes in every day. Every five minutes, there's more paper. There's more paper. And you try to organize it, but the more you try to organize it, the, the more paper comes in, and you still have to organize it. You can never get a handle on it. How, who's, who's in charge? And then, of course, when we're talking about Congress or the California legislature, for that matter, 
You're talking about people who are rotating in and out. They don't, they don't care. They don't care about what, what law was on the books 50 years ago. And there's no one in charge saying, you know, we have to clean up old laws that don't make any sense anymore. Uh, so that's a big problem. And, and here's a larger problem. And, and, I'm, and you're talking about laws that are kind of obsolete, and, and that's smart. But it just makes the book thicker and thicker and thicker. And so it's very hard to figure out what is relevant and what is obsolete among the books. But let's say you could. All right. Let's say you could just get rid of all the obsolete laws out there. You know, all those things about the boogie whips and the uh, crazy things about the way. You know, whatever you know, it is. Whatever it is. Yeah. You know, uh, men uh, how you know, do you have, use have the right to beat their wives. And that's, of course, obsolete. And right. so it should be. Or how to plow a field with an ox and a tiller rather there than There you go. A yeah. I mean, these things just make no sense anymore. Yeah. Uh, but let's say you could get rid of all of them just by pressing a button, zoop, 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 and everything is modern day, and it, it only applies. Okay, now you have a slightly thinner book. <clears throat> Here's the problem. We make so many regulations anyway, day in and day out, that there's no way you could possibly stay on top of it. There's no way. Uh, Let alone uh, conform yeah. to it. That's right. I'm sure both of us are breaking 500, you know, Easily. horrible felonious laws right now, just sitting in this That's room right. doing something we're not supposed to, or it's doing a, something it's we're very, not doing something we're supposed to. It's very tough. Yeah, it's very tough to follow every law, and and yes, they, ignorance is no excuse for the law, but boy, they they they're making it harder and harder. I mean, you you want to be able to run your own business for the one hand, but then you have so many compliance things to deal with that it's it just sucks up more and more of your time. I have to hang a poster uh, to for my, the benefit of my employees to show what their rights are, for example. Uh, I have to be ready for inspections. I have to make sure that the W-2s are sent out and the, the, the W-9s are provided for and the 1099s are sent out and uh, vacation pays are paid, uh, paid for. Are they independent contractors versus full-time parties? And what are the tax ramifications associated with that? <clears throat> yeah, I've always noticed it seems, as a business owner myself, we spend more time complying with the laws or the right. tax regulations or whatever rather than working to do the business of the business to earn the money to right. pay the taxes. Right. It's, so it's, how is this benefiting anyone? Well, how did we get to this point? <coughs> it's, uh, we got to this point because a lot of do-gooders. Because of Democrats, let's just <laughs> Well, we can call them Democrats, but, uh, you know, I mean, yes, that's true, more, largely Democrats. But, you know, people who have very good intentions. But what you know? What's that they say? Uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and I can prove it to you time and time again. Uh, this or that regulation, constantly, it, it, it stifles innovation. At the very, at the at the at the most innocuous, it stifles innovation. Um, in, at the worst, it destroys businesses. Uh, the businesses that are designed, you know, that they think they can do all these regulations in a vacuum that it has no impact whatsoever. On, on well, I think I think at its very least it stifles innovation. At its in the middle, it just destroys a business. That's right. At its worst, it imprisons people or incarcerates people for violations that hurt no one. That's right. But are are uh, you know enforced by some capricious fiat by some bureaucrat right. who doesn't care. That's exactly right. Let, let Let's talk about regulations. I want to show how it stifles innovation. Let's talk about. I said ice cream before. There should be so much ice cream. In an ice cream. Or fat and ice, fat content, or yeah, cream, cream content right. per All right. gallon. Or but let's say, okay, so let's say you decide you're going to create something that it's not quite ice cream, it's not quite sorbet, it's not quite an icy, it's something else. We'll call it uh, Barack cream, <laughs> okay? 
And it's. Uh, I was thinking frozen custard, but you can frozen, name it after yourself. Frozen custard. <laughs> well, I, I invented it after all. It's, okay. it's great stuff. It's very tasty. Okay. Uh, anyway, and it, it involves cream, but has a lot less of the other stuff associated with ice cream. It, it, instead, it's kind of an icy that has a cool flavor. It's, it's like a chewing gum sort of texture to it. I don't know. But it's, by, by golly, it's really tasty. And now, when you have the ice cream thing there and you're trying to sell it, well, then you can't, you can't create that new product because somebody will come down on you and say, well, that, that goes yeah, beyond. Yeah, you can't accurately label it or categorize it as right. a nutritional category of whatever. Right. Yeah. I remember thinking about this when I first went to, uh, uh, when I went to Israel a long time ago. And by golly, they had some ice cream there that just knocked your socks off. It was so tasty. And I realized there was a little bit of extra cream in there. They put it in, and it was just so good. And why are they telling people that the cream should be only so this this or that percentage? Who's who's winning for that? What's what's the purpose behind that? Why if it's fifty five percent, well, why not fifty six percent? Why not fifty four percent? What 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 happened there that that created that? So anyway, Steffel's innovation. Another example that I can think of is um, child safety seats. I mean, there, there are many, but just one comes to mind right now. Child safety seats. You are required in the state of California to have a child safety seat. I say, I say it because I have three kids of my own now. And because they are seven, four, and six months, I now have to have one of each kind of child safety seat. There are three major ones, and they all fit in that. So none of them can share the others. It's, it's, really, it's really bizarre. So you have... Um, Let's see, and if you're if you're between two and four, this is the kind of seat you have to to ride in, and, and so on. If you're between four and seven, this is the seat you have to ride in. Okay, what if <clears throat> what if I came up? I mean, this is this is the law. This is this is the way it's going to be, and this has to be. But what if I came up with a, a different kind of restraint system that not only is cheaper and less cumbersome, but is detachable at at a, at a moment, and also is far more effective and more safe. Could, I, I, could, I could come up with that, but I'm precluded from coming up with that because the regulations mandate that everyone has to have this particular kind of child safety seat, and only a few manufacturers make it. And surprise, surprise, those manufacturers are the ones lobbying for those regulations. Yeah. Let it never be said that big business doesn't love regulations. No, love I've, I've noticed there are two sectors that come to my mind immediately <clears throat> when you bring up that point, which yeah. are soda and cigarettes. Yeah. The, the, we're under the impression that it was the cigarette companies that were a victim of Congress. The big cigarette companies didn't want the regulations for the labels, the this, the that, the cigarette, the uh, uh, tax stamps, the, uh, you know, all those little compliance things. But if you think about it, there's no way you can come to the conclusion other than those regulations that they have the financial resources to comply with actually prevent, protect them from anyone who grows their own tobacco from finding a new and better way to make a cigarette either safer, tastier, better product, or anything. Because anyone who wants to do a startup cigarette company very rarely has the billions of dollars needed to comply with every stage of the regulation through every stage of manufacture, process, sales, marketing, and promotion that is now required for right. someone making cigarettes. And the same is true for soda. Coke and Pepsi can, can afford any sort of uh, 
caloric regulation, caloric compliance, sugar level, this, that, the other. Right. And, are, and have the resources to pay any fine the government would level on them for not complying. Right. But if you and I started, you know, Barack and Ari Soda Company, no matter how delicious the sugar water with bubbles tasted, right. if we violated one thing, we're slapped with suits that immediately drive us out of business and probably right. throw us in jail. Oh, so true. So, it's really you know, the, the, the truth of it, uh, as I've already always perceived it, is big business in collusion with big government creates this, you know, marriage of hell that prevents any small innovator from ever getting into the sector. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, it's such a, um, I mean, a classic examples. We, we see it time and time again, uh, big business like Pan Am, for example, wanted to be America's airline, just like Air France's, France's airline. And uh, Pan Am, you know, you saw it in the movie The Aviator, by the way. It was very interesting. Alec uh, Baldwin plays the, the character for, for Pan Am. And he's basically arguing to the, the, the senator, I think, and trying to push and lobby for Pan Am being the only airline. And they said, look, if you allow competition, I mean, we're talking about planes in the sky, my friend. You know, if uh, things are not done just so and people are cutting corners, well, planes will start falling from the sky. And, you know, that, what that means is that it's going to start killing people. And uh, he almost got them. But at the end, deregulation was the order of the day, and wonderful things happen with deregulation. We now know that. <clears throat> Same thing is true for the phone companies, by the way. And uh, but they they love the regulation. Here's an interesting thing, and I want to share this. I want to have this thought experiment with you. <coughs> Imagine if you know today we have a highly regulatory uh, environment. Uh, people, when, when you think about it, creating a new industry or a new invention, whammo, <laughs> the, the regulators come in and they, they uh, think about how can we regulate this, this, this thing. It wasn't so in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, for example. I mean, the, the time between 1820 and 1920, actually 1930, was a fantastic time for America. Great inventions were made during that time, by the way. It's, a, it's an extraordinary time period. Um, Let's say, however, that the car was not yet invented. Just, and that's the thought experiment right now. We were using horses and buggies and, and, uh, and bicycles and such. And now, with today's regular, regulatory environment, with the, the, the whole PC nature of everything today, the whole PC nature of, of today, um, suddenly some guy comes up with this idea called a car. And he's now taking it to people. Well, he realizes he's got he's to go through the appropriate channels to make sure that people it's going to be okay because, you know, we need roads and we need to pave the roads probably. We also need all these traffic lights and we need to also make sure that everything is cool that way. And we need highways and things like that. And won't this be great? Imagine what the regulators would say to this man who's bringing them this, this so-called automobile, this horseless carriage. They would say, are you crazy? Are you nuts? Do you Are want you? to kill 30 million people a year yeah. with your horrible yeah. pollution-causing yeah. mechanism? Me, yeah, they would say, let me, let's say it was me. They would say, let, let me get that straight, Mr. Lurie. You're telling me that people are going to be driving on their own in a machine that weighs, what is it, uh, two tons? Uh, 55, 65, 75 miles an hour all together <laughs> on this highway, all going in the same magical direction. And uh, you're not going to have thousands and thousands of accidents on a daily basis. This is a nightmare. You haven't thought this through. 
we need government to be involved in this and you know somebody needs to drive it to make sure that we have licensed people driving each of those cars that's what we need to do and we'll call them uh, we'll call them buses or something or vans and uh, and each person driving it must be uh, licensed because god knows I mean this is a huge deal you can't just have uh, people driving it anywhere and uh, and excuse me and you were saying Mr. Lurie that you want red lights and green lights and and you think people will just stop at the red light <laughs> please Mr. Lurie you have a lot of faith in people. It, it, it just ain't so. Um, I mean, you can just go to town on this. Um, and you're saying that people won't, uh, they won't drink and drive and, and they'll be distracted all the time. I mean, they're going to kill each other. Uh, what if they've got a vendetta against somebody and they see that person that they hate so much, they'll drive their car right into that person. No, sir. No, Mr. Lurie, that's not going to work. It, they would put the kibosh on, on the car industry in seconds. And yet, of course, thankfully, the car was invented a long time ago, more than 100 years ago. And cars are a, a fact of life, and they're a wonderful tool for us to get around, and, and I don't know how we would get around without it. By the way, everything I just said, is it has that's even before the full discussion of how it would wipe out the horse and buggy industry, right? Which is which heavily unionized. <laughs> that's right. right. needs protection uh, and uh, is heavily unionized, I'm sure, at this point in this um, regulatory environment. Uh, and we would have to do all this stuff. So think about how it stifles, regulations stifle industry. Just remember that. The great comedian Sam Kinison had a great joke, very tasteless, relatively speaking, right. but it's a great joke because it illustrates the point of exactly what you're saying. He he made this joke during the heyday of the Mothers Against Drunk Driving campaigns. Right. And if you remember Mr. Kinison, <clears throat> he was the man who said things that... Oh, so were, screaming, the screaming comedian. Yeah, and he would say contrarian things. But he, right. his joke essentially said... Wow, it's really amazing when you think of how many people successfully get home after drunk driving each night. <laughs> that's true. But that's is kind of the point, which is um, sure, so it leads me to the uh, the analogy to that is, you know, there's there are elements of people out there, and they usually take this regarding two major areas of our society, which are guns and mm -hmm. uh, automobiles, where they only look at the downsides. How many people are killed accidentally or on purpose right. with guns? How many <coughs> uh, fatal auto accidents there are? But they never want to either discuss or look at how many people, how many times per year or day a gun or a car is used safely as it should with no. Uh, negative consequences. Right. How many people start from where they're going and arrive at their destination without incident every day with a car? They right. just look at, oh, but five people died. And right, same right. thing with a car uh, or a gun. Uh, right. You know, X number of crimes with guns were committed in the city. Really? Well, how many times did a policeman carry you know, a gun? That's or a really good point. I mean, and I think the difference, Ari, is that almost everyone drives, but very few people have guns. And so when you when you drive, you you are living. The statistics. You know yourself that you are going to go from point A to point B, usually to work or at home, uh, and to a recreation. And you don't really think you're going to get in an accident. I mean, I guess that's why they call it an accident because you have no idea that's going because to happen. Because it's accidental. Yeah. I, but you not on purpose. <laughs> yeah. You know? But you don't. You don't stress out, right? Yeah. You don't say, "Oh my God, I might get in an accident today." And then you arrive at your location. You say, "Oh, thank God, I'm arrived here safe." You know, Baruch Hashem, and uh, maybe you should say that, but but we we don't. You know, say, oh, thank you, God, and, and, and every time we park safely, we don't, we just don't do that. And I think the reason why is because we under, we understand, however, every single time we do it, that uh, there is that risk. Yeah. We don't, we don't stress out. To about be it. fair to the gun, the anti-gun lobby right. people, though, a car is not a gun. A gun is a 
killing machine a car isn't. You know, a gun has that right. purpose but, for oh, personal but defense ask, and all that. But a car, a car can kill. A car can kill, but, you know, anything can kill. A, gu a, a gun, can, a gun yeah. can maim or miss right. you just as much as a, a car can. Yeah, my point isn't to get into the discussion about yeah. this versus the other. It's a general attitude because these are the same people who – Rather than looking at all the wonderful things that happen on the internet, we'll just say, "Yeah, but children will may see boobies," or That's right. you know, uh, <laughs> instead of understanding how wonderful the film industry has been for our culture or anything, they say, "Yeah, but a children might see." Oh, this right. is my Mickey Mouse voice for some reason. <laughs> children might see an R-rated movie and see boobies. You know, everything's right, boobies, right. you know, or whatever. Right. It, it, it's a general attitude that they focus on the downside of anything rather than the reason the thing exists. The old attitude that. Why do we have fire if one child is going to get burned out there? Right. And, and Obama last week said a statement. This was just bizarre. He said in this speech, he said, this was before the election. He said, if one child goes hungry or one person in our country doesn't have the job they want, my work is not done. Wait a minute. How disingenuous is that? One person out of 310 million might go hungry or not have a job? And that's uh, – yeah. what about the 309 – and 999, you know, right. thousand who do have the right job and do have food. It's well, the difference you know, you're talking about the difference between liberals and conservatives in many ways. Liberals, uh, which are often a very godless, uh, you know, live. Well, I shouldn't say liberals are godless. Oh, don't tell true. them godless. Call them satanic. I, I'm we saying, know what they you know, are. Those, those who, you know, unfortunately, we live in a more secular, increasingly secular world, and by secular, I mean truly godless. Where the, the God is eh, something to be laughed at or something to you know be embarrassed about at the very least, and so what you end up having is um, a, a sense of you know well let's make heaven here on earth. So you have a utopian uh, you know impulse among many such people. Not necessarily only liberals. I'm simply saying that uh, the further away you move from God, the more you want a utopia in society, and that's what you're talking about. Whether you realize it or not, I think. They yeah, want everything a to be perfect. society free of any possible yeah. pain whatsoever. <clears throat> That's right. Even if we have to get rid of everything. That's right. Similar to the statement I made earlier. Well, if we could just regulate people to never do anything ever at all times, right. then they'll never get hurt. That's right. <laughs> they so might starve to death and die of dehydration, and they will suffocate because they can't breathe. Right. But <laughs> oh, that's very funny. So, in summary, know. folks, uh, don't do anything. Yeah. Thank you very much. Just this sit has, there this has and been. die. <laughs> right. Don't eat. Don't get fat. Don't drink. That's exactly right. Don't, don't, life. don't breathe. Don't take any risk. Oh, yeah. gosh. God forbid you take a risk. Uh, but yeah, you're right. People, and your point is so well taken. You're saying, essentially, we, we adopt risks in our lives. The car is such a good example. Uh, you know, and, and we live and breathe it. We understand that's a necessary part of it. Um, there are many other things. I, you know, we go into the swimming pool, and every time we know that we might drown. But yet, it's worth going into the swimming pool. Um, I don't know. We, we take. We certainly go on planes. Um, we every time we put something into the electric socket, there's a chance we might be uh, electrocuted. Every time we go outside in the rain, it might it might be a lightning strike. Yeah, but or we might see a beautiful girl across the room. We go approach her, and <clears throat> she might turn into be our wife, or she might slap our face. There's right. a risk. Yeah, you know, or it, she might be your wife and might turn out to be a terrible person. I mean, there, there, there's right. Risk there's a risk. Yeah, we don't know what it is until after it that's exactly has occurred. Right. Uh, you know, you're you're you might eat some uh, some very tasty um, uh, dinner at at a restaurant and get food poisoning and die. That's it, it has happened before. It's a risk you take. So. Uh, and, of course, you can walk down the street and um, a plane can suddenly crash into you, right? I mean, the freak accidents happen all the time. Yeah. Earthquakes, fires, you name it, um, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, where you live, 
uh, and the job you undertake and so on. These are things that you must under, uh, understand and these are things that uh, make life actually more interesting. A life without risk makes life very uninteresting at the end of the day. Look, uh, I think we're wrapping up at this point, but uh, I think at the end of the day, we, we have to be very suspicious, very suspect when it comes to regulations. I think that's really the theme of what we're talking about today. Um, ask yourself, what is the real purpose behind this regulation? Is it to avoid all risk, like you say? If so, well, then let's, let's really think it through. <clears throat> Secondly, ask, uh, what are the consequences of this regulation that you're proposing? Are there, are there consequences, P.S., there are always consequences of every regulation? Uh, and are we ready to accept those consequences? Uh, thirdly, are there consequences that we can't even think about? Right? I mean, it's, it's really quite extraordinary. Um, for example, uh, Pergasy, sorry, what's that case? The separate but equal case, the terrible Supreme Court decision, which basically said, well, education should be equal, but we'll make it separate among blacks, uh, between blacks on the one hand and whites on the other hand. And of course, the consequences were terrible. Um, you know, you know the, the black community didn't get the attention that it deserved and got terrible education. Um, nobody thought about that, but they should have. Likewise, uh, minimum wage, that's my favorite example, sounds great, but no one seemed to think that it would actually yeah. increase unemployment. No one realized it was the Black Youth Unemployment Act of 1934 that's, that's exactly or whatever. Yeah, that's 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 the nefarious history behind it. Yeah. But even if there were no nefarious history, even even taking the, the, the people who advanced this at their word with good intentions, uh, it never dawned on them that this actually might increase unemployment and increase illegal immigration. That's the funniest thing about it. Right. The the double uh, whammo that nobody expected. And you know, drug laws like this do the same thing. Yeah. They, they do these things to make sure a set of commer commercial activity is regulated under this roof, so we can watch it. But what it does is it spawns all this unregulated economic exactly activity right. that becomes even more dangerous. That's right. And more nefarious. Yeah. Ah, listen, it's been uh, it's been a delight talking to you, and today, uh, and this uh, I guess concludes our podcast for today. And uh, thank you very very much for listening to Lurie Law. Good night, everyone. <laughs>